Friday night. I appreciate each one being here. I know a lot goes on on Friday night. There are other places you could be and things are, are happening and I appreciate that you've chosen to be here. Those who are visiting, I especially appreciate your presence as I know the brethren here do as well. appreciate those who have been so faithful to be here every time. And I want to just go ahead and, and uh, kind of make some closing remarks at the beginning, I guess. But, I, but we have thoroughly enjoyed our week here. Uh, it's hard to believe that this is the last night of the meeting. Uh, the, the Lewises have been so good, uh, even though they're, they're not here. You know you're being treated well when they just turn their place over to you and they go out of town. Uh, so I, I, we appreciate their hospitality even before uh, we had gotten here. And then all the different ones that have had us out to eat, I start naming people, I'll forget somebody and I'll be in trouble, but, but we have enjoyed it. We've enjoyed getting to know you better. And we appreciate the work you're doing here, even more importantly. Um, relatively new congregation with all the startup challenges and all of that, but I appreciate your zeal, I appreciate your determination uh, to reach out to others, appreciate so much the work that Stephen is doing and and uh, it, it is a, a challenge. It's a challenge to find those good and honest hearts. Now, they're out there. Uh, there are people out there who, who will receive uh, the word as it should be. It's just finding them, and that's a challenge. And so appreciate his efforts and, and encourage all to encourage him as he goes about doing that, that much-needed work. Now, I ask uh, for your patience tonight, I guess, because this sermon uh, is difficult. It's difficult for me on a very personal level, and I never know how I'm going to do. Uh, I don't know how hard it would be for me to get through parts of it, um, but we're going to talk about a subject that I think is needed to be talked about. Um, each time I have done this particular sermon, I have been met with a lot of stories. Uh, everybody has their own times that they've had to deal with grief and sorrow. And those are not easy times. And so we want to think about it. Uh, I'll have to base it on my own experience, but we all have our own story to tell. But more importantly, we want to see what scriptures have to say about this very, uh, very personal uh, time that we unfortunately all go through. And so again, I'm going to be speaking from my own experience. Um, for those who may not know, just kind of a uh, preface here, I lost my wife of 38 years a few years ago after a very lengthy illness. The only person here I think that ever knew her was Jerry, uh, and uh, I was very blessed and talking about those times. In fact, somebody told me one time, said, Ben, you need to write a book. I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to relive uh, to, you know, every detail like that. But I think there are things worth sharing that I think would be helpful to each. And, and so as I think about this, number one, I can only tell you what I've experienced. And, and there, there are many forms of grief, thankfully, I have not had. I cannot imagine, for instance, losing a child. I'm told that's a far different experience than any other, and I think maybe most times are like that. 
Each one is different than the other. Each has its own circumstance. And, and I've learned more about grief and sorrow than I ever wanted to know, and yet I still feel very inadequate you know, in the way of you know, giving advice because really there's no correct way to grieve. It's different for everybody. I think there are some incorrect ways to grieve, and we'll talk a little bit about, about that, but there's really no correct way. You can't say to someone, oh, now you ought to be, you know, whatever. Just pick a, finish the sentence. Everyone's different. Different circumstances, background, temperament, mindset, your gender, your age, just all matter of things enter in to why different ones grieve differently and when they move forward with their life at a different pace than somebody else might think they should or shouldn't do. I think we have to be careful when we're telling somebody, again, what they should or shouldn't do following a loss. There's a time and place for everything, including grief. It's just different for each person. And so a person moving forward with their life doesn't mean that they've stopped grieving or loving the one that they've lost. I think sometimes children might have a hard time understanding that about maybe a parent that uh, has, is moving forward with their life and uh, maybe others in the family, especially the family typically. Um, but that doesn't mean you stop loving the person. You'll never stop loving the person that you lost. You'll never stop grieving for them. It'll be different. It'll be tempered with time. But you'll never stop, nor should you. Realizing that a grieving person can feel alone in a crowded room. Uh, that's just something that I learned. Um, People are so good to want to be around you and want to comfort you, and that's wonderful. But unless you've been through it, you might not know that that person sitting there in the crowd can feel like they are completely alone because their mind is elsewhere. It's occupied with other things. And, you know, sometimes sometime people will say um, things that you, you, you know, you just wonder, why did they say that? Or, or maybe kind of things that are kind of inappropriate. You know, Job had some of that, didn't he? If you look at uh, Job, uh, Job chapter 16, I think we all have to be, you know, have to be mindful of what we choose to say to someone. Uh, in Job chapter 16, you remember Job's three friends? <laughs> They've come to him. Oh, they're going to come and they're going to comfort him. He's been through terrible things. Lost all of his children, all of his servants and possessions and livestock, all of that. And, but notice what Job says. He, then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Say, so y'all are some sorry comforters. Shall words of wind have an end or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. And so a time of grief and, and loss is not a time for rebuke and a time for blame. Sometimes just a simple, I'm so sorry. It's just all that's needed to say, to be said. But when we start looking at Scripture, it, you, you just can't get, you can't get any better than looking at Jesus. And I think about all the things that Jesus has been called in Scripture, good things, lofty things. But I think about this one, man of sorrows, man of sorrows. Never think that our Lord doesn't understand grief, because He does. 
And so in um, Isaiah chapter 53 and in verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. See what it says about Jesus? A man of sorrows. We have a song, don't we? Man of sorrow. Uh, What a name, I think it it says. Um, And so he's, He's acquainted with grief. And so Jesus understands when we are in the midst of our grief, maybe angry to begin with, He knows. He understands. And so we find in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, See then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, tempted in all points as we are. You remember when uh, he was in the garden, and he prayed, and he wept, and he was in anguish. He went through some temptations. Remember when when he rebuked Peter and said, Peter, you are an offense to me. Remember what Peter said? Oh, no, Lord, you're not going to die like that. You are not going to die like that. And and the Lord's like, Peter, this is hard enough. I don't need you telling me that. You are a stumbling block to me. Because he knew he had to go through it. And so he understands. He understands the anguish of heart that that, um, we face from time to time. And so the man of sorrows, he's there. And when we go to his throne and we're at our point of weakness, he understands. And that's comforting. That's comforting. And so my personal journey, I met Bonnie Sue Jordan on October 13th, 1973 in a little town called Josie, Alabama. We met on a blind date. Now, I often said to people, I've been blind ever since. The first thing I did was mess up. So, guys, if you ever think there's no chance, I've messed up right off the bat because the first thing I did was call her Bonnie Sue. Shouldn't have done that. (laughs) She hated that. But that's how I was introduced to her. So that's what I did. We were married August 24th, 1975. She passed away February the 27th, 2014, after 38 years of marriage. The last eight of those years um, really brought us through an incredible journey of faith and love. Uh, And I'm just going to share a small part of that with you. But those last eight years were, uh, were something else. I think about what all she went through and... As one of the doctors said one time, says she's the strongest woman I've ever seen. When I think about what all she went through, it makes me, it's very hard for me to complain. But age four, she became a type one diabetic. So most all of her life, she had that disease in the background. And that's going to be the root of the problem later in life. But her real problem um, really started 
that we knew of in 2006. Um, she went into the hospital and thought she had, well, she had pneumonia. They given her all these antibiotics and IVs and she started swelling up and discovered that her kidneys were not functioning as they, as they should. And so we start working on that. And, and then she's sitting on the back steps one day and she says, I just can't see. Well, it just looked, things just look dark. Find out that both her optic nerves are swollen and she's going blind if they don't do something. And so, ironically, on the way for me to have a tumor removed from my stomach that turned out to be cancer, we have to stop and have an MRI, go to a neuro-ophthalmologist for her problem. And so they start her on diuretics, trying to get the pressure was too high in her cranium, intracranial pressure, too high. So they try to deal with that. Well, the, she couldn't tolerate the medicine, so they put a VP shunt in. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they literally put a drain in. They, they put a shunt that has a valve in it, and it drains off that extra pressure. Well, then that was too much. They drained too much off, and her brain literally uh, sank down in, in her head, and that stretched the nerves of her eyes, and then she had to wear an eye patch for over a year until they eventually did surgery on that. But, but, but the second shunt they put in, she got a staph infection. So they had to go in and take that one out, put another one in, but then the staph infection was so bad and they gave her so many antibiotics that it ruined her weak kidneys. And she went on dialysis. And so she was on kidney dialysis for almost six years. Well, there's a, more ups and downs than, than I would try to recount. But in October of 2007, she had a seizure and, and a stroke. And she was on a, in a coma three different times, ventilator three different times. Um, finally got her kidney, got a new kidney. And we were thankful for that. But the virus that took her life, she got from her new kidney. And so you don't know the ups and downs of life. She had uh, CMV virus, it's called. You and I could get that and we might get a cold. But if you're on anti-rejection medication because you had a transplant, you can't tolerate that very well. And um, first time she had it, uh, she was in a coma about three weeks and on a ventilator. UAB said it was the second highest count they'd ever seen for that virus. But they got her through it, put her back on the medicine for that virus, but then it came back uh, the 1st of 2014. And when it came back, it just was with a vengeance, and they could not slow it down. And, and she passed away after that, that occurrence. And that was February the 27th of 2014. And so what I want to do is, is talk about that things that have to do with the journey that you're on as all these things in life are happening around you. And I hope some of the things you'll see are these. I think this is, these are things I learned. Uh, keys to dealing with grief and loss. My keys, anyway. Help me. How you deal with grief and loss depends on your level of trust in God. Do you trust Him? That's what our theme this week has been. Do you trust Him? I don't know why this happened. Do you trust God? 
Depends on that level of trust you have in God. Trust depends on how well you know God. I think the better you know God, the more you trust Him. And how well you know God depends on how much you love Him. Now, you, if you love somebody, you really get to know them. And when you really get to know them, hopefully you've really gotten to trust them. And I think that's a, that, that is the combination of things that helped me through some very difficult times along that eight-year journey. You know, God doesn't leave Himself without witness, we might say. And I think prayer and Scripture leads to affirmation of God's love in our lives and His involvement in the course of our life. I think that's some, something missing a lot of time with Christians. They don't see God involved in their life. But He is. If we'll just take the time to notice and include Him in our life. And we do that by praying to Him and taking our problems and our cares and our sorrows uh, to Him. And then noticing what He does in our life and giving Him the honor and glory for that. And, and so when you think about trust, trust eliminates bitterness. The sense of, of, of God, you've, just, you've done me wrong. Oh, I trust God. He doesn't do you wrong. I might not understand it all, but I sure trust Him. Love creates the bond that enables that trust. And then a loving God, our loving God, grows deeper as we come to truly know Him through prayer and Scripture and again seeing His involvement in our life. And so the Scriptures can really help us put tragedy into perspective and then trust in God's timing and when His answer is no. That takes trust. And that's what I found in my life and in my journey. Loving Him with all of our heart, soul, strength, mind, gets you through those dark days. Prayer enables you to see God in your life as you look for His answers. The Scriptures will comfort you like nothing else. I thought about this story and thinking about this. I remember a time in Scripture that David was angry with God. Now here David is, he's a man after God's own heart. And I know he, he had a level, a deep level of trust in God and he loved God. But you know, we go through times that, that things happen and our initial reaction may be anger. David's was. Remember the time in 2 Samuel chapter 6, um, David is excited. He is going to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. And he has like 30,000 of his mighty men. All the best of the best were there. And the people and the priests and everybody, they're just rejoicing. They, they think they're doing the right thing. They take the, the Ark of the Covenant. They put it on a brand new cart. But it says, when they came to Nathan's uh, threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against us, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. He was angry, but he was afraid too. He didn't know what to do next. He was sort of afraid of God, maybe for the first time. But you know, he got over his anger when the Scriptures taught him better. And that's what Scriptures can do for us. In, second, in First Chronicles, rather, in chapter 15, 
David is, he's, he's finally kind of figured this out. Why did God strike down us when here we are just trying to bring the ark back and we've gone through all this really pomp and circumstance and all of that. And finally he calls the priest in and he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. Now they made the mistake. You know, a lot of times our problems are self-inflicted. Not every time, but often. But I appreciated that, that David come to have some perspective of this when he considered the Scripture. And I think that helps us, all in a different circumstance than David was in, but still when we don't understand initially and maybe we're angry. The Lord's Word can help us through that. He regained his perspective because he trusted the God that he loved and knew so well. I'll tell you, in prayer... Uh, I cannot overstate what prayer meant to me and to others that I know on their journey. Jesus prayed when sorrowful about life circumstances. Remember when he was in the garden? Mentioned this a minute ago. In Matthew 26 and verse 37, he knew exactly what was about to happen. I can't imagine knowing what they're going to do to, to you. And he did it anyway. But that didn't mean it was easy. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Now this is Jesus talking. He is experiencing real human dread and, and um, anticipation of what is about to happen. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He took his disciples with him. I, I think that's important, another important point to make. Sorrow and grief with no one to comfort is a miserable place to be. Even though, as I said before, it's not maybe always easy to know exactly the right thing to say, but I know this, being alone, really alone, not that you can't feel alone anywhere, but being really alone is a sad place to be. Look at Lamentations chapter 1 and the first two verses. Now I know this is about Jerusalem, but I think there are, we're going to come here two or three times. I think there are, there are scriptures that apply like this one. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princes among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. But the picture there of this lonely grieving widow, though yet Jerusalem brought that on themselves. But as we think about a person who is all alone and grieving, that is a miserable place. It's no wonder that we're told as Christians, weep with those who weep. We need to be there for each other. And again, you don't have to know the right thing to say. 
All you might just say, give is a hug, and I'm so sorry, and just be there. Just be there. It means so much. As I was going through my journey, and I'll tell you, and I'll mention this more later, but Jennifer could tell you her own journey. As I was going through this journey, though, I, I can't tell you how many cards I got, how, how many wonderful expressions of love and support, all the Facebook posts that I would get as I would post updates as I went through the many ups and downs of this journey and how much they meant to me. The phone calls that I got, the visits in the hospital, all those things are important. They matter. And so don't be afraid to reach out to that person who's going through grief and loss. And so I just, I, I can't even count all the times and what it meant to me. I, I remember uh, one lady brought, brought us a, a little portable CD player when Bonnie first went on dialysis and said, oh, I think it'd just be great to have some good music in the background when you're on dialysis. Well, she didn't know. It really didn't work out in that setting. But the thought was there. It was, and, and, it, and that meant so much. And then, of course, when she passed away, uh, the love and support that, that came my way uh, was just so, so important. You know, we read, uh, I've read this passage in 2 Corinthians um, many times. In fact, I'm going to mark my place in Lamentations. But um, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, I have read this at, at many funerals before, before I went through Bonnie's passing. I said this after her funeral and a little time after, I said, I will never preach a funeral in the same way again. Uh, it, it, I'll, I'll just have such a deeper understanding of what the other person's going through, having been through it myself. And then as I would read a passage like this, and I've read many times and at many funerals, it just meant more to me this time. In 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. But notice this next sentence, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God, or by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And I, to, to me, he said, pass it on. God has comforted you. Now you go and you comfort other people. So important. And so he, I believe God uses his word. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses prayer. He uses people to comfort our hearts. But I know this for me, prayer and God's Word, that, that was my constant source of comfort, of strength, of peace. And the verse that I quoted most often over and over was Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. That, that in my mind, you know, that was my go-to passage. And it meant so much to me. One day on our way, uh, really on a routine checkup, Bonnie had to go periodically to have that shunt checked in her head because it's already messed her up one time. And they were really keeping a close eye on it. So we were on our way to Birmingham. We lived three hours away in South Alabama, coming up to UAB, going to see her um, neurosurgeon. Well, on the way up there, we, we are, um, I think we've gotten to Montgomery. 
Well, I had to pull over because she'd gotten very nauseated, and that wasn't entirely unusual. I pulled over, but I also knew check her blood sugar. I did, and her meter just said high. Now, if you know anything about those, they register up to 600. So it was over 600, didn't know how much. She had an insulin pump, so I put in 10 units. Usually 10 units will bring blood sugar down about 500 points. Take just a little time, but it usually, usually does. So I did that. Well, about an hour later, stopped again. We'll check on things. Checked it again. High. Still high. I gave her almost 10 more units, which made me nervous. But I didn't want it to all kick in at one time. Then I'd have an even worse problem. But then she started talking to the children who were not in the car. So I knew I was in trouble. So I called ahead to UAB. We were on, her, she had a her, one, lot of doctors up there. Called ahead. They said, take her to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room. By that time, she can't walk. So I, I get her inside the emergency room. And the time, as soon as they checked her blood pressure, it was uh, 260 or 290, over 190-something. I don't remember the exact numbers now. They took her straight back, of course, to her room. While I was in there, they had asked me, now, be, watch her because she was grabbing wires. And I said, just watch her. Try to keep her hands from pulling something loose. They were trying to get her blood pressure down. And she had a seizure. And I'd never seen somebody. Well, I'd never seen her. I'd seen one person. I'd never seen her. She never had a seizure. Well, that scared me to death, you know. So, thankfully... That God's providence, we were at UAB. We were in the emergency room when she had the seizure. So I hollered down the hall and about 10 nurses and three different doctors come in. So I'm, I'm, I just take me a chair and I sit down over to the side. One of the nurses came, came by and, and said, you all right? And I was sitting there quoting, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I honestly could say I, I was okay. I was all right. I, I felt that peace that passes understanding. And so... I think about passages like Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. His word is so important in circumstances like that. I had an update, and I forgot to bring it with me, but I would often send updates out. And generally, at the end of those updates, I would put a verse that just, for me, spoke to what was happening. And that psalm is one of them that I would, that I would put on there. And it was on that trip that, that she had a stroke and was on the ventilator for about three weeks and um, thankfully had no paralysis, but her temperament was completely changed. Um, I used to tell her she had short person's complex because she wouldn't let anybody run over her. 
just because she's little, don't you try to run over her. It just leveled out that, that feistiness um, after that stroke. Well, I had friends with all these ups and downs who really thought I was just in denial. I kept saying, she's going to be all right. She'll, she'll be okay. And they really thought I just need to be prepared to let her go. During one of those days, it might have been that day, very prolonged stay at UAB, I had a family member to come by to see her. He was the, one, of, one of the leading doctors at UAB, retired recently. And I, I had never been through a stroke and a seizure and all of that with her. I've been through a lot of other things, but not that. I didn't know what to expect, so I was just asking him, what do you think's going to happen? He looked at me, he said, she's going to die. I thought, well, you've got a wonderful bedside manner. Well, he was right, but it was six years later. It wasn't right then. The Lord gave us a lot more time. And I really didn't feel that at that time she was going to lose that battle. I felt comforted. But I tell you, medically speaking, it didn't look good. Uh, there was a lot of reasons to, to think it's not going, we're not going to make it home this time. This is a very sobering picture to me. That's uh, my two boys there with me. And uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't look good. We had a, a mask and gowns on because she also had a staph infection um, that, that we had to suit up for, as they say. Her sister, I was blessed with my sister-in-law being there almost every time she was in the hospital. How that worked out? She only made one trip special to be at the hospital. But it worked out that she was there every other time. Again, I see God's providence because Betty being there helped me to get rest because we take turns sit, sitting up at night. And so that passage that I've got there on the board, be, be anxious for nothing. Let your request be made known to God, that God that we go through Jesus, who is a man of sorrows and understands that that peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so what I experienced then was, yeah, God gave us another six years. Uh, and I was very thankful for that. And, and there were some good in those, if you count. You know, dialysis is a wonderful thing, but it's a hard thing. And there was almost six years of that. Transplant lasted one year. And that was not the solution we were hoping for, but it was great that she didn't have to be on dialysis for a year. Now, when, when we pray, I think one thing we need to understand, as, as in this case, I believe God gave us more time. He didn't have to, and, and people didn't think we'd have more time, but we did. That prayer changes things. Our Father cares when we sorrow and when we are shedding tears. There are too many examples in Scripture that, that would say that. Two of the most wicked kings that there ever were in the Old Testament, God changed His mind because of their tears. I, I think about Ahab. Can you think of a more wicked king than Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel? And finally, God is pronouncing His judgment on, on Ahab, and Elijah is the one delivering the message. And, and it says, uh, in fact, let's just, let's just turn to uh, 1 
1 Kings 21. Here, of, of all people, that God would decide, look, look how he has humbled himself and, and look at his remorse. And 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25 but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done when the Lord, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was. When Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on his body, he fasted, he lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. And I, that to me is a wonderful story of hope. If Ahab can, can receive God's mercy, surely his people can. You think about Manasseh. He reigned for 55 years and he shed so much blood that he almost single-handedly brings about the fall of Judah. But then he's captured by the king of Assyria, and then he humbles himself. And in 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 13, he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Prayer changes things. Don't give up praying for that, that one that may be going through those, those terrible times like so many have experienced. David realized that God just might change his mind when his baby was dying. Remember the story that David, of course, committed adultery with Bathsheba. A baby is born. God said that baby's going to die. David wouldn't eat. He wouldn't drink. He, he wouldn't clean himself up. He wouldn't listen to anybody. He prayed and he prayed. And then when he realized the baby had died, then he got up, cleaned up, went and worshiped, and he ate. And they were just dumbfounded about that. And so David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord would be gracious to me that the child may live? He could. He didn't in this instance. Sometimes God says no. But David understood he could have. Why do we pray? If God doesn't change His plans for us, why do we pray? There were many times that God brought Bonnie through some seemingly unsurmountable health crisis. Her doctors were often surprised. I remember, I remember the time when she was in such a, a coma and had a stroke, and they didn't know what was going on until she woke up, if she woke up. And I told her neurologist, I said, she squeezed my hand today. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah. I asked her something two or three times. She squeezed my hand. And he was just surprised. He was glad, but he was just so surprised. God hears. God cares. You know, on a Wednesday night, it's February the 26th, 2014. Never will forget that date. I left the Andalusia Hospital very late. On this occasion, um, we didn't know this was going to happen. Um, Bonnie had gone to the hospital about three or four days earlier with, with the pneumonia. They got that cleared right up and looked good. Came home on a Friday. 
by Sunday morning, she was back in the hospital. Her lungs were awful, terrible. It was during that day would be her last day. And I left the Andalusia Hospital late that night on a Wednesday night. She was in the ICU. And I, I can remember so well walking into my house. And we had a, you know, it was a bigger house than what we needed then. The kids were all gone. But I remember walking in thinking, this is the way it's going to be. I really had that, that feeling that this time she was not coming home. That we've been trying for three days to get her moved to UAB. Didn't have a room. Didn't have a room. Couldn't get her there. I left that night. Um, you have a lot of things that you can look back on and you can wish you'd done this or that. You know, my thought, I wish I hadn't left. I didn't know that was the last night. And when I left, and when I got home, that was my thought. But, you know, I prayed. I prayed and asked the Lord that I'd be wrong in how I felt. But if I wasn't wrong, that He'd hold me up and prepare me if the answer was no. Well, the answer was no, but He held me up. And this, bring, this brought me to another key element in dealing with grief and loss. My trust in God. He knows what is best. He does what is right. I had experienced this so many times, the ups and downs, and at the end, trusted him that it was time. It was time to let her go. In Psalm uh, 33, I can find it. Psalm 33, uh, in verse, um, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. See, we trust God. And what I believe is that God spared her from even more suffering that was to come had she lived longer. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57 Isaiah 57. I came across this verse just, just a few weeks ago, and, and I thought about it in relation to what we're talking about. The righteous perishes, Isaiah 57, verse 1. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds each one walking in his uprightness. Say, I, I knew things would, were coming up in the progression of the diabetes. Her stomach was already just barely working with the neuropathy that is set in. I knew a feeding tube was coming. I, I knew all the complications that come with a transplant, with diabetes. She had gone through more than anybody thought she ever could, and it was just time. It was time. And I trusted God, still trust God, that His timing is always perfect. But then something else I learned, and that it takes time to regain your perspective on life, to kind of get back to your new normal, because everything changes, and you can do not one thing about it as far as undoing anything. It is, death is final. 
It's appointed unto man once to die. And so that sense of finality, this, this is real. It takes time for it to seem real. But it takes some time to, to, get, to regain your balance. And you know, we wonder. We wonder, how does the world just keep going? After I've suffered such a great loss, I, I remember pulling up in the parking lot at Walmart. And I'm, I'm, this was right afterwards. And, and I'm seeing people come and go and kids are running behind their mamas and they're getting the buggies and they're going in and out like just life going on. And I'm thinking, don't they know what I'm going through? How can they be running and laughing and just continuing life? Don't they know what loss I've suffered? Again in Lamentations in chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of His fierce anger. Now here the anger is toward Jerusalem, and, and that's the context. But, but we still feel that way. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? <laughs> is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Don't you know what I'm going through? That, that's how you feel. There's a song, and I uh, hope I can read through it. There's a song that a very dear friend of mine sent to me. It's called When I'm Gone by Joey and Rory. And uh, Joey has since passed away uh, of cancer. And uh, uh, Ken Chapman uh, sent it to me. I listened to it one time. And then it was over a year before I could go back to it and listen to it again. But it says a lot of what I've been saying. That a bright sunrise will contradict the heavy fog that weighs you down. In spite of all the funeral songs, the birds will make their joyful sounds. You'll wonder why the earth still moves. You'll wonder how you'll carry on. But you'll be okay on that first day when I'm gone. Dusk will come with fireflies and whippoorwill and crickets call. And every star will take its place in silvery gown and purple shawl. You'll lie down on our big bed, dread the dark and dread the dawn, but you'll be all right on that first night when I'm gone. You will reach out for me in vain. You'll be whispering my name as if sorrow were your friend in this world so alien. But life will call with daffodils and morning glorious blue skies. You'll think of me, some memory, and softly smile to your surprise. And even though you love me still, you will know where you belong. Just give it time. We'll both be fine when I'm gone. You realize as you gaining this new perspective that grief and sorrow, that's part of life. You know, we may not like that, but it's part of life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, Paul would say uh, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Or Peter would say in 1 Peter 5 verse 9, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But you know, some people don't react that way. They become very bitter. As if any loss is an injustice, an unfair treatment to them. I, I think about a lady used to worship with, with uh, me years ago. And any time something happened, any setback in life, it was one of her list. She never moved past any 
thing she perceived as some loss in her life. And so any new loss wasn't just an isolated event. It was part of her list. And so when she did have really serious tragedy, like when her mother and stepfather were killed in an auto accident, it just shook her to her core because it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't just. How could God do that to her? And it goes back to trusting Him and that this is part of life. And unfair and unjust things happen. But it depends, again, do you love Him? Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Jennifer shared a thought with me that's helped a lot, helped me a lot. She said, don't make grief your idol. And, and that has meant a lot to me because I see it in people's lives. A friend of mine named Randy had a goal. His goal was to graduate high school. And you might think, well, that's not, you know, I mean, that's good, but that's not a very lofty goal. We talk college, you know. That wasn't, his, that wasn't the context of his goal. His, though, was to live to graduate high school. Randy was born with several birth defects. Very difficult to see from the outside, but inside. Had organs that were in the wrong place and things like that. He just wanted to finish high school. That was his goal. He died the summer after we graduated high school. About 25 years later, I happened to be at his parents' home. His car that I remembered him driving in high school was sitting under the shed out in the backyard. His room was exactly like he walked out of it. They could not move past losing him. And so grief had become their idol. Some people are frozen in time. You know, grief continues on, but so must your life. And that's a lesson that, that I learned. Not long, by the way, after I visited that home, and I didn't realize that it was things were like they were still in their hearts about losing their son. And, and that's an awful thing to go through. But right after that, lightning struck their home and burned everything up. And so I guess they were forced to move on with their life. But life must go on. And that is so important. I, I think about when Sarah died, Abraham's wife. You know what Abraham did? He remarried. He married a woman named Keturah. And he lived for 38 more years after having married her and had other children, amazingly enough. Isaac, their son, he married Rebekah. And here's what was said about that. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, Isaac moved forward with his life. Abraham moved forward with his life. They never stopped grieving, never stopped mourning the loss of mother and, and wife. But life continued, and that's so important. With time, I believe, and with the Lord, you can go from hopelessness to hope. Another passage in Lamentations. In Lamentations chapter 3 and in verse 16. He also, he has also broken my teeth with gravel. Now this passage is going to go from the hopeless to the hope. 
He has broken my teeth with gravel, covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction in roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. That's where our hope is. That's where our peace is. That's where our joy is found. God is aware of your grief, your heartache, your sorrow. Hagar, um, she was run off from, from her husband. Uh, if you call, She was a concubine, but she was run off. And there she is thinking she and her son Ishmael are going to die. And Genesis 21 tells us God heard the child and he answered. God looks down in Exodus chapter 3 and his people are being burdened. They're they're slaves. They are crying out to him. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I think about Joseph. I think about when his brothers, remember Joseph, when his brothers said, look, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. And they said, oh, no, we won't kill him. Let's put him down in this pit. You know what? God knew Joseph was in that pit. And then they said, well, let's not, uh, well, let's, let's, let's make a profit on this. We'll sell him to the Midianites. God knew Joseph had been sold to the Midianites. He's bought by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife wrongly accuses him. He's thrown into prison. God knew Joseph was in prison. He knew where he was. He always knows what we're going through. And eventually you know the story that Joseph was, would rise to power. He would, his life would continue on because he never doubted his God. I'm also thankful that one day we'll be in a place, there'll be no more grief, there'll be no more sorrow. In Revelation 21 verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, not only will, will we not be grieving over our loved ones, they won't be grieving at all. We need to trust God that this is so. It means our loved ones. Think about that. And I hadn't thought about this. I'd read this passage. I preached about this passage. Oh, there'd be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. And I always think about myself. But what about our loved ones who have gone on before us? You know what they're not doing? They're not sorrowing and they're not crying and they are not grieving. We are, but not them. I remember sitting in my backyard swing. Um, It's a beautiful spring day, several weeks after Bonnie had died. It was her favorite spot, sitting there in the swing. All the flowers were starting to come out and to bud. The birds were returning. It was a beautiful day. But I thought, and I was saddened by the fact that Bonnie would have loved this day. This was her favorite spot, her favorite time of the year, and everything was just perfect, it seemed like. And that thought filled me with sorrow and grief until I remembered something. That there is at a spot on this earth, at the peak of its beauty, 
that can compare to what she was experiencing in heaven. She wasn't missing a thing. And that thought gave me great comfort. I was the one grieving, not her. She was fine. That's what I believe. And it gave me great comfort. See, we don't grieve as others who have no hope, do we? I'm glad of that. You remember when Jesus was told Lazarus is sick? Come on. And he waited a few more days. And he got there and Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus used his knowledge about the resurrection to comfort them about Lazarus. And as he would talk to him, and Martha was the first one to go to him, and he would ask her, or he told her, he'll rise again at the resurrection. Oh Lord, I, I know he will, but if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus sees all, and then Mary comes and says about the same thing. And then Jesus sees all the mourning and the weeping. And what does he do? Jesus wept. He was moved by that. But he reminded them of the resurrection that there's life after this life. He offered them hope. Lazarus will rise again one day. And, and while they were comforted by this hope, they still had the very real human response. They want their loved one to stay a while longer. And there's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus granted that request, didn't he? Lazarus, come forth, he would say. But he first reminded them that all of us look forward, who are Christians, to the hope of life after this one. Jesus spoke of that sorrow turning to joy in John 16 and verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask Him and He said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Isn't that the way it is when we lose a loved one if they're a Christian? Well, we don't see them for a little while but then later we'll see, see them again. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. They're going to see him again. And so will we are of our loved ones who died in the Lord. And I don't want to finish, conclude, without saying that God has blessed me more than I could have imagined. You know, when, when, when you first suffer the loss, you think it's just like life is just over. But I'm thankful life was not over. God had other things in mind. And I'm thankful for that. It is, it is a long story, you might say. Uh, but it's a great story about how Jennifer and I met. And, and I believe the Lord brought us together. That's, that's my belief. And somebody else might not, but that's okay. They can be wrong if they want to be wrong. But I believe the Lord brought us together. Uh, and I, I don't believe He picked just somebody for me to continue my life with. He picked the perfect somebody. Uh, and in so many different ways. Jennifer has gone through her own years of struggle with her first husband. 16 years to be exact. Married for 22 And so for a lot of that time, there was that constant up and down battle with not good health, but not as bad as it often was, just kind of back and forth. And so the Lord brought me somebody who understood what I had been through. He brought me somebody who would, would be the perfect one by my side as I continued my work. Now, I don't stop my work. The Lord wanted me to continue what I was doing. 
uh, with in, in the kingdom. Nine months to the day that Bonnie died, our first grandbaby came. And uh, it was sad that she didn't get to see it. But what a blessing it was nine months later that here comes this first grandchild. Then I inherited a family, might say. I now have another son and another daughter. Jennifer has two more sons. Her oldest got married, and that's my new daughter-in-law. As we had prayer before her wedding ceremony, and now we have this little five-month-old, second grandbaby, that uh, I think is going to be more than a handful. But anyway, what a blessing. My oldest son is engaged now to this young lady to be married in February. And of all dates, February the 29th, he says that's one present every four years. And I say, good luck with that. But I say all of that to point out life goes on if you let it, if you let it. The Lord will continue to be with you and watch over you. You never stop grieving. You never stop feeling that sense of loss. But you move forward. And so I think dealing with grief and sorrow, again, for me, the key was, depends on how much you trust God. How can you stay angry with God. You know, you might have an initial time of anger, but how can you stay angry with God when you know He always does what's best? And God doesn't create every bad circumstance, but He gets us through every bad circumstance. And trust depends on how well you know Him. There's a lot of people that think a lot of things about God that just aren't so. How well do you know Him? Let me go back. And then knowing God depends on how much you love Him. And that's just true. And, and, it, and it's the thing that helped me get through. Grief is different for everybody. Moving forward with life is essential, but it's different for each person. Keep your loss in perspective. Don't make grief your idol. Grief, yes, you always will, but not without hope. And God will comfort you in truly amazing ways. Pray fervently. Read God's Word carefully. And allow God to bring you through it so you don't live in it. I hope these things have been helpful. Uh, it was helpful to me just putting it all down, I think, and thinking through it. Uh, I trust God. I didn't want to lose Bonnie Jennifer didn't want to lose Warren. All of you have people you didn't want to lose. But I trust God that He'll bring us through it. He'll see us through it. His timing is perfect. And He'll continue with us right up to the end. Let's take our songbooks and turn to the number that uh, has been selected. I appreciate the songs tonight Stephen has chosen. I think they're very appropriate for, for our topic. But I tell you, I, I don't... Uh, I don't enjoy preaching funerals when I have serious doubts about the soul of the person that's passed away. We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. What about those who have no hope? 
That's hard. That's hard. I'm glad I'm not the judge. God is the judge. And, and that comforts me to know it's not my responsibility to, you know, to say yay or nay. That's God's. But when you know a person was not a Christian, and it, it's hard. And so if you're here tonight and you're not ready to meet the Lord, for your own soul, get ready. For your family's sake, get ready. Don't, don't make them go through wondering if they are sorrowing like those who have no hope. That is, that is just not where you want them to be. If we can help you to be ready to meet the Lord, let it be known. While together we stand and sing.